Hey, people. I just want to let you all know I'm very excited about ronbeek3.com. So that's ronbeek, B-E-E-K-I-I-I.com. Um, you know, I took some time to revamp the website. There's a lot of interesting things. It's like a central hub. There's a page about WT Fada. There's a page about comics. It's all sorts of stuff. So go check it out and tell me that I sent you. Uh, mm. huh. Hey guys, uh, if you want to skip the off topic, I think you can jump ahead to about 33 and a half minutes into this podcast, and it should be relatively close to where we start talking about today's topic. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to WT Fada. That's what the fuck are we talking about? Remember, you've tried the rest. Now you're trying the mediocreist podcast in the world. Uh, I'm Ron, uh, joined here as always by Mr. Ryan Alves. Hey. How you doing, man? Oh, you know, pretty good. Finished this Batman book and the cover. Working my way through back matter and some like written stuff, which is uh, surprisingly tedious, but still, you know, a little bit of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just trying to get myself together so that I can uh, do this retreat in Ohio next week and really just kind of conserving my energy and, you know, trying to stay away from people until then so I don't get sick. Yeah, true. Are you going to um, say hi to all of the listeners in Ohio? Because oh, of course, you, gotta, you have to go around and get, I mean, I'm sure I'm they all sure know us. They're putting on a WT Fada parade for me when I get there. Uh, Is that true? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so you know, why wasn't I really told about forward this? to that? Uh, uh. uh uh, because you just made it up, didn't you? <laughs> no. Oh. No. Oh, okay. Because, All right, cool. Uh, it's just really poorly organized. Are you going to be handing out free money at this parade? It is in Ohio, after all. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Little Prince music. Pretty good. Yeah, a bunch of big inflatable, you know, clowns and babies and stuff. Awesome. And hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? <laughs> And I'll be here washing my tights. Um, so yeah, the Batman book is done then, huh? Yeah, I mean yeah. it's not done, but like it's it's all penciled out, and I'm like saving, uh, inking it for when I'm at the retreat, so that I can like just crush it, you know. And 
Yeah, it looks awesome. It's like the most mainstream looking book I've ever done. And uh, that's cool. Which is like weirdly ironic because like Bane is very, you know, prominent and very naked in my book. And like (laughs) if reading like a mainstream book with just like a boner on every page is just like tickling (laughs) me fucking pink. And uh, you're you're a man after Lee Bermejo's heart. You know, yeah. just like I'm gonna slap a dick right here, no big deal. Exactly. You won, uh, but yeah. slightly less tasteful uh, than <laughs> his applications because it seemed like he was trying to like not coyly throw it in there, but like say, "Oh no, he's just naked and it's just a penis," and like this is how it's lit. And it just so happened yes. that he was like in one of those panels. He's very close to like the viewer. Yeah. You're just like getting slapped in the face by it, but uh, I think it would move the camera. You'd think maybe yeah. I'll put this someplace else, or, yeah, just like tilt know. it or just somewhere that isn't staring directly at the dom. You're and looking right down the barrel of the thing. You're saying, I'm why? doing I'm doing that, like turned up a couple notches. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I don't know, it's it's just it's a really it's giving me a good uh good a good feeling just like getting into the next couple of projects from this one's in the can uh, yeah 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 send you some pages because some of them are just really i don't know like i, I feel myself upgrading you know mm-hmm. every every page i finish i'm like oh wow that was like better than the last one somehow or like i figured something out on a panel or something it's been a good couple of years for you know you and and you know i haven't done i obviously am not doing as much work as you but i've been more satisfied with everything that i've been doing too Hell it's yeah. been a couple of good years yeah no it's, it's really uh i don't know i'm starting to i don't know get used to being an adult artist in quotes uh or just like start to find my routine that I'm like comfortable with and like be able to like work it into like my daily life a little more and uh, just the like habit of working as much as I have for as long as I have been uh, is finally starting to coalesce into like work that I'm, you know, a little more psyched about as I'm making it. Yeah. I um. I wonder if I'm doing things wrong sometimes because I, uh, I'm getting like, I'm getting weird kind of like despair often. And I, I'm trying to figure out how to like where, where that's coming from and what to do different, but it's not really, uh, it's not really happening. I'm, I'm a little bit, I kind of just work and work and work. So like, the idea of like fitting it into like my normal life it's like i don't even feel like i have a normal life somebody asked me the other day what do you do to like have fun and i said i i I was like completely stumped i couldn't come up with anything the closest thing where i feel alive is like the show you know and and that's like this is the closest that i feel to being like yeah and then it's like you know I end the recording and then it's like, I just commence like 
it's my tomb again, and I just lie here <laughs> until the next recording. Yeah, cast. just right into the yeah. It's like a very Nosferatu way to live. Um, and I don't yeah. know what the solution is. I've been trying to figure out if I need to have like a. I think I need to, like, add something to the routine but i have no idea what i can't figure it out it's yeah. not good yeah i mean i don't know the thing that i try like for me anyway for like my personal evasion of you know the great darkness or whatever uh is like i'll generally i'll be like working my way through like one or like two comics courses somewhere that'll be, you know, that'll have like daily exercises or sketches or something like that. And right. I'll always, always, always like fall off schedule and nice. just like, you know, go through the, uh, I don't know, the stages of morning of being like, oh, I'm late. It's been a couple of days. I guess I'll just wait until tomorrow. And then it's been like three weeks and I'm still like, man, it's been three weeks. I should really get back to doing that thing. But I'm going to start this one and I'll do one, this one, and then I'll jump back to that one. And it's just like, hmm. I don't know. I think keeping, I mean, keeping me busy, keeping my brain busy or like just occupied tends hmm. to uh, at least help me consume time in the day that I can feel sort of like about and uh, without having to do much like work or anything. Um. But, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a. I don't think it's a thing that ever really happens. You know, I think it's just finding ways to operate with that tucked away somewhere enough so that you can do something else you know yeah i just sort of uh i i don't know i i feel like i've like run aground or something and i can't figure out exactly what's going on i don't know why but it's definitely been a much more difficult period uh than i've experienced in in the past and I don't know if part of it is like seasonal depression and it like definitely seems like it's kicked up since like it got super cold and it started like snowing nonstop. And like, it's just sort of like, uh, I think that that's part of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like I keep myself fairly busy but it's like my attempts to do things lately are getting like squashed by just feeling a little bit off, you know, and uh, it's not great. But I also kind of like, you know, I, I kind of, You know, when I'm writing, um, what I'm drawn to with writing is like, 
oftentimes kind of like probing the the darkness a little bit and i think like sometimes you walk away from that feeling a little bit muddy you know and it's like difficult to like clean it off and kind of move on from it because you feel like you've kind of you've just seen too much or something i think that's part of it but also i really think that like that stuff is probably what's you know like i I can write funny and i can write happy but i feel like the dark stuff is the stuff that people are probably going to be the most like whoa about if i whenever i have a really good idea it's usually like about a villain or something you know or about some horror story or those are the ones that i feel like all right like that's great but it's like to get those things i have to like like go way deeper than maybe is healthy for me yeah i mean what if uh you like took the dark stuff and then like tried to spin it into a joke with dark stuff laden laden in you know sort of like try to write a thing that's maybe like happy or funny or something that has really jarring but well executed you know tonal shifts to just like yeah you know, like the way it the way it generally happens uh, yeah but and then like be able to stick that landing to maybe back to happy or like, like into a joke or something mm-hmm. you know yeah there's got to be a way to like uh, kind of assimilate all of the different things that I can do into like one place. Yeah, um, or even just the act of attempting that and seeing what you get. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm working on uh, the pencils for the second uh, punishment book. Um, Sick. Yeah. And that's one that's like really weird because it's, objectively like the main emotion that's in there is like sadness you know and it's like it's a weird it's a it's a weird thing to like be drawing non-stop is like a family in crisis um so that's been interesting yeah i mean I broke my printer too. Um, not like anything that I did to it. It just is a piece of shit. It's just been slowly dying. And now it's like, I'm literally, I'm dead. Stop touching me, you know? And now I have to get a new printer um, because that's a very crucial part of this whole uh, endeavor. But I managed to print like six more pages. So I'm not going to worry about it until like I'm done with those um but it's probably going to be fairly quickly that that happens and then looking at printers i'm like oh here's like a wide format printer and it's like but it doesn't have a scanner and i don't really want to have two printers like one that's a scanner and one that's like like the printer that i have won't print now but it still has a big scan bed that i can use but i kind of don't want to have two gigantic pieces of equipment you know, like I would like yeah. to get a new printer with a scan bed and everything. Um, I mean, can you like sell the old one 
has a scanner or something? Maybe. I mean, fuck. Do you want it? Do you have a? How big is your scanner? I don't have one anymore. Okay. I had to uh, like the one that I was using was like a photocopier, like a standing photocopying machine that my stepdad had in the office. So I was able to just like scan and print black right. and white shit just all day. Yeah. Um, I miss it. I mean, you can have this one if you want. I'll give it to you. How big is the scan bit? Like 12 by 18, 13 by 19 or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. It's like that big. So it's not like a a standing like Staples copy machine? No, no. And I mean, it still can handle scanning. It can still do that. Um, yeah, but oh, as yeah. far as printing, I mean, it might be you might be able to find somebody to look at it, um, and maybe they yeah. can figure out how to get it to work. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I really just need a scanner. All right, yeah, there you I go. go to Staples now. All right, cool. So I'll give it to you, and you just give me like like two grand. It's fine. <laughs> we can go from there. Um, oh shit! Sure. Yeah. Totally. yeah. But I, uh, so yeah, I'm kind of in the pro. I'm in the process of trying to figure out what I want and what I need. There, um, I don't know, just a lot, just a lot of stuff like not sitting great right now. You know, I don't know why. I go through like cycles where shit gets like this, but I mean, I think like a dopamine hit of getting like we get the batman coming out soon that'll help a little bit give me something to be like whoa that's exciting and then like once this book starts coming together that'll be really cool um i mean it's there like those outlines or the my, i guess my like digital pencils mm-hmm. were like they're rough but like it's there yeah oh yeah yeah it's really fun so i mean if there's people listening that don't know what ryan and i do it's like with the two punishment books um we basically i think how it started was i wrote that script and then i was so excited about it that i was like i obviously want to work with you on it but i don't want to not have a hand in the art like i i wanted to be involved in that because i was really excited um so essentially what happens is like i think we normally each do our own thumbnails and then we give the thumbnails to one of us to do an outline and then the outline goes to one of us to do uh like a rough pencil and then to one of us to do a final pencil, and then one of us to do a first ink pass, and then one of us to do the final ink pass, and then the art's done. So it's like, it's like, like ping pong or something. We just keep like, you know, knocking it back and like forth. Ping pong with a snowball rolling down a hill. That's yeah. Like, like getting bigger. Yeah. Try to picture how that works. <laughs> and then you understand the art process <laughs> of this. But it's like, it's fun. It's like, it's nice to, like, in this case, I did the, 
I think in this case, you compiled the thumbnails, right, into one outline. Yeah. And then... And then I... Oh, no, you... So the thumb... All right. We each did the, the out... We each did our yeah, own each... outline. You combined the two outlines into these rough pages. And now... Which became like the first pencil pass. Yeah, the digital pencil right. pass. Or so then I'm doing the final pencils on this one. It's the opposite of how we did the punishment social justice. Um, and it's just like a fun, it's fun. Like, I don't know, it's a, it's a weird muscle because it's like you don't, you're constantly having to be like, okay, how much is too much information? because you don't want the other person to be like completely locked into what you did. So that was like something that was tough for me to figure out in the first book. And then this is fun getting essentially pages that are done and then just going in and like putting my own spin on what's there. It's it's a it's an interesting process. And it's literally just because both of us want to draw it. So now we did, you know. <laughs> we could literally put out two separate editions, like two other totally different editions of both of these Punisher books, Punishment books. Uh, wanted to. <laughs> and, what are you uh, trying to get us sued? <laughs> we were trying to get sued. Come at us, Marvel. Yes. Yeah. We'll only help them. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah it's a i don't know it's been it's been a fun a fun book and uh i really i was really like happy with like just a lot of the stuff going on in like the second issue and uh the way a lot of stuff like shook out for like the outline like mm -hmm. you know we hit we always hit like a couple like snags on some pages and end up like having a dialogue that ends up getting like a better panel than you know i could have or i think either of us could have really imagined on our own but like yeah can build a superior one together you know yeah uh, yeah that's awesome i'm super excited about this book yeah, I knew that it was special, like, because we were working on this pretty steady, and then we shelved it to try to get the Christmas book done, and we did that, and now coming back to it, it's almost like looking at it with fresh eyes, and I was talking to somebody about it, and I was explaining what the point of the story was, and, like, I got, like, emotional about it, and that's usually a really good sign for me if, like, I create something, and then I get, like, I can get choked up by it. And I'm like, all right, this is something totally worth doing because I was questioning that first one has such a visceral impact and it's so pointed and it's so loud and it, it felt like, you know, in my mind, by comparison, I was constantly like, being like well some people have said that they wanted another one and like so we're doing that for for that reason and, and i was sort of like i wonder if it's worthy of being like a follow-up and like is it good or anything and 
I guess kind of like on the fence. And you, you've to your credit, have kind of kept the faith and been like, no, 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 it's it's good. And I was sort of questioning it, and uh, but having that moment of like explaining sort of what the vigilante the unnamed vigilante character is kind of experiencing in this book it was like oh shit like this actually is for anybody who's a fan of this character that we just created in the first issue uh, that's loved that character for the 30 40 years that he's been in existence or whatever like it is uh it feels fresh. It feels like something that hasn't been done with them before. And it feels like a greater emphasis on like the psychology of this character instead of him as a, you know, almost like a, like an action hero template or something, you know? Yeah. No, we're definitely like clearing the air because you get that action hero template thing in, in our first issue with some, you know, deeper emotional undertones. And uh, this one, like the action has already happened. And yeah. it's yeah. just like, all right, now we are like digging deeper into the same character who does all of the action movie stuff, but with like much sadder motivations, you know? Yeah, this one. This one is the, there's a really, and I don't feel like I've heard anybody point it out or anything, but there's a very conscious decision in the artwork of the first book, which is that if you look at the character's hands, he actually is wearing his wedding ring still um, while he's carrying out vengeance for the loss of, you know, his family, his wife, like it this book is almost like that it's like expanding on just that image of like this is the bloody hand you know that still has the ring on it that still loves his family that's been like separated by our like from them on this mortal plane you know and it's i don't know it's a it's a bigger psychological dive than I feel like the character normally gets. Yeah, and you know, and it gives us a chance to kind of show off a little bit of drawing chops and writing chops. Yeah, yeah. Like action scenes are one thing, but I think to put together, a, you know, cohesive kind of scene or like a mundane scene or something. Like I think yields more opportunity for storytelling and uh, some fun drawing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different muscle, you know? I mean, action scenes are super fucking hard, which is something we found out, (laughs) but also (laughs) I think convincingly showing like just something normal, you know, and like having the acting be on point, you know, um, Having look natural. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all that stuff is um is also super important. So it's fun to be using the same character in an entirely different way 
you know it's uh unique i think they're together they're like a great compliment you know yeah yeah that that uh that combo edition when it eventually comes out will be a sight to see oh yeah and the trilogy because that third book is awesome too <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe i don't know it's not written i don't know if it, it will happen either but maybe the third one will be after marvel sues us and it's like <laughs> It'll be at marvel. like hey look we will we're coming to work for you like you know you found us now we're yours you know <clears throat> and we'll do the third one officially at marvel which would be pretty cool oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. guys make some noise about the punishment you know uh go to l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash a-w-e dot comics and pick yourself up the punishment afterlife there's a second edition coming right oh wait the second edition on the way but i'm sold out currently actually. Ooh. okay so actually we can't uh have you do that just now but stay <laughs> tuned i guess on the wt fada instagram i'll do that i'll fucking uh put an update when the second printing is available yeah hopefully by like early march and it'll be slightly bigger cool that's awesome yeah um yeah ah it's exciting um what else you got going on anything anything good um i mean you know still working toward getting three other books printed up along with the second edition of punishment and uh i just redesigned back covers and like you know front covers for a lot of those uh, uh yeah that's that's pretty much it yeah besides this trip this trip is hopefully going to be the all the dopamine i need for like the rest of my life so just hoping it's a real good time yeah i um yeah i mean i think that that's gonna be that's gonna be really cool for you you know you're not gonna be on a couple of these shows yeah i'll be taking a a brief sabbatical from brief sabbatical the from the 6th to the 15th yeah i think it works out that you'll be you're going to miss Batman and Robin and Batman Begins and possibly The Dark Knight. Oh, But we might push, we'll push that one to Wednesday that week so that you can, well, I'll see if we can push that one to Wednesday that week so yeah. that I mean, you can join don't, in. Uh, don't hold it up on my account. I, uh, I'm sure I've already talked about the, the latter Batman movies enough on here to get enough of a an idea of how I feel about them across. I feel like we've all I feel like you and I have done a really good job of not turning this into just a Batman podcast because there's a very I mean there's always that chance and I feel like we've shown remarkable restraint. Yeah. Um, I mean I'm just I'm following your lead and I figured, you know, we didn't or didn't want to do a full-on batman podcast but would pretty much just talk about batman most episodes anyway so he's gonna come up he's, he's always gonna come up 
I feel like if we started talking about it's a two it's a twofold thing. Either if we started talking about Batman nonstop on this show, our ideas about Batman would get shared. And then either an established comic book artist or something or writer would like by chance hear this show and be like, that's a great idea. And then it would hit print without us or like people in charge would by chance maybe hear this show and be like, we got to hire these guys. But I feel like the risk, the risk is like neck and neck with the reward. And I'm like, I think we'll just keep our mouths shut about that. Yeah, that's a good idea. I have to like edit out some of the conversation that we had about Phantasm the other night because I got <laughs> I got too excited. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, if there's nothing else to talk about, I mean, I I don't really have anything else that I can think of that's really worth saying right now. Um, maybe we just throw it a commercial and then come back and we'll talk about the best worst Batman movie <laughs> instead of the worst worst Batman movie which is next week yeah oh yeah let's do it all right Alvin oh, I'm just kidding Alves um, what, what, what the fuck are we talking about Oh, we're talking about the classic, classic Joel Schumacher first entry of the Tim Burton franchise, I'm going to call it. Batman Forever. Batman Forever. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's like a franchise that like changed custody halfway through, which is weird. And like, Kayla had brought up at one point she was like are these ones all in the same continuity and it's like i think they they're meant to be i i'm pretty sure because she mentions catwoman at least right but he also tells her that he's never oh wait no never mind i kept getting fixated on this moment and he's just like i've never told anybody this before and then he tells her the story about his dad's journal but i'm conflating it with like telling his telling her his secret identity Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's like it's subtly, it does that. And it's like sort of like an audience fan servicey thing. But then also, it's like go back two movies and you have Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. And now he's played by Tommy Lee Jones, who I maybe, maybe one of the things we should kind of start with uh, is sort of like, what are the differences in tone between the Burton films and this one? Because I think that that that's the biggest difference is just the vibe, oh, you yeah. know? Oh yeah. Um. So yeah. What do you, you know, what do you say about it? I mean, it's uh It's like the difference between, oh God, I'm trying to like put like music to it. Yeah, like uh, some type of metaphor. Yeah. For this thing. 
I guess it'd be like a Gary Newman, uh-huh. like a Gary Newman weird tune, mm-hmm. uh, to like a very dancey like eighties or maybe even nineties, like early nineties David Bowie, uh, like pop, but like still with some like character, but it's just like candy. But it's and still that like was- pop. You know, I, that was probably the best analogy that you could probably make. Actually, I I actually enjoy that quite a bit. It kind of sums it up well because it's a different. It's like I don't know. Burton's movies are so gothic and they're so you know they're very dark and they're very bleak kind of vibes and everything. And you know, there's darkness in this movie but it's very contrasted with neon and super bright splashy colors um and like this is the first time that like the villains you know kayla was talking last week about it was like joker and then penguin and catwoman everyone is like white like you know just super pale and like this is the first time that you start to see like non-neutral colors. I mean, I mean, I guess not the Joker had it, but I guess from Batman returns ostensibly, like it just leaves you feeling like you watched a black and white film, you know? (laughs) And like, this is so 180 degrees running in the opposite direction. I think based on, because the story goes that after Batman returns and after Tim Burton crafted a story in which essentially, you know, people like his target audience of like young kids. I mean, really, that's what you're thinking, right? It's like at that point, I don't think people were like totally understanding how dark comic books can get. I don't think people were totally understanding. I mean, they still sometimes don't. Because that's where you hear like mothers getting mad. Like I took my my child to see Deadpool and like this is horrible. Like, isn't this for kids? And it's like, no, it's not. Like it just stop. It was rated R. Don't take your kids. Just because it's a comic doesn't mean it's for children. At all. Yeah. Like I don't know. It's so fucking ridiculous. But like it's like they Tim Burton made a dark Batman movie in which children were going to be drowned in raw sewage. And uh, a lot of parents were upset. A lot of children were disturbed. And I guess when Tim Burton went like to have the sit down meeting about what's the third one going to be, he always tells the story that he was like halfway through the meeting. And then he started like looking around the room And he started like reading the room for the first time and he stopped and he was like, you don't want me to make this, do you? And they were like, no. And then he was like, okay, cool. Like all set. And he just was like, I'm, I don't need to do a third Batman. I'm fine. And he kind of like walked, he's still a producer on Batman forever. But this movie in terms of tone in terms of maybe more overt humor and like silliness it's all designed in an effort to run away from that bleak reputation that batman returns had to hopefully rope in 
a bigger audience and maybe please more people. Um, that being said, I don't feel like this movie is toothless, you know, which I think sometimes yeah. is, I feel like that's what Batman and Robin gets kind of lampooned for. And I think Batman forever gets unfairly kind of roped in with that. Yeah. It's just cause it's not a Tim Burton Batman movie. So they're like, Oh, Joe Schumacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's weird is like Schumacher. He's an interesting guy. He's a strange kind of case because it's like you watch Batman and Robin and and that's your impression of him but it's like he also did 8 millimeter 8 millimeters and, and falling down it's like these movies are are very dark you know and very disturbing and like 8 millimeter like i often kind of look at it as like some type of spiritual sequel to 7 you know, it has like a number in the title and it's like the next one in succession. So the proper trilogy is seven, eight millimeter. And then that Italian flick nine uh, is the third one. And it has nothing to do thematically like, like with the Asian first one? two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like a total. It's like, I don't know. The third one doesn't. It just feels like they really just changed course in an uncomfortable way it didn't really follow <laughs> any of the themes that they set up in the first two. Well, that's kind um, of what they did here it's a joel schumacher special he, he always <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean i i don't know what what's your opinion of batman forever this is an interesting case because there's also a better movie on the cutting room floor that we're gonna have to talk about but yeah. the theatrical I mean, cut, what do you think? The movie itself, you know, upon revisiting it, uh, you know, I really, it's like, I didn't really like it. You know, there were like bits that I liked and the fact that it was, you know, very Adam Westy was like fun. But uh, yeah, as I was watching, I was just like, man, this is like, crap you know yeah it's uh this weird pop neon fucking like 90s late 90s uh like sleek glossy mainstream comics of the era which are just desperate and flailing and just have no self-awareness like whatsoever so they're like Super, like say, you know, with Batman Forever, it's like super goth, but it's very brightly colored and they're constantly cracking jokes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I don't know, it, it just, it feels like a, like a kid's show or something with a PG-13 rating. But yeah. Jim Carrey is sick as hell. So I'll give him that for just walking all over everybody in this movie. Like everybody. <laughs> I guess Tommy Lee Jones really didn't like him. Uh, like Tommy Lee Jones didn't. didn't want to be here in the first place. Like there's a recording somewhere of him just like, you know, it's being very uh, dismissive of like comic properties and comic book movies and stuff like that. And, yeah, there's you know. a lot of like well-respected filmmakers that have shit on comic book movies in the last few years, and even good ones. Like, I, I will never forget David Cronenberg 
saying like who gives a shit essentially saying who gives a shit about the dark knight it's a fucking batman movie and it's like <laughs> dude like rough like really rough yeah and everybody that's I mean, seen um, that movie says it's like transcending the genre and like great performances and it won an academy like award the, based uh, off of performance he's an ec snap you know like yeah he is Cronenberg is making ec comics and looking at superhero comics just like are you fucking kidding like, yeah looking down his nose exactly and yeah. I, I get it you know i, I can understand why somebody who makes comics at that level mm. sort of like looks at cape stuff and mm. you know fucking spits at it or whatever but um you know i don't support that that outlook like that kind of narrow-mindedness but it's not great like martin scorsese did that a little while ago too yeah. And he was talking like kind of about the Marvel cinematic universe and basically comparing them to like amusement park rides. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Like I could see it. It's brightly colored. It's crowd pleasing. It's thrilling. It's like, okay. Yeah. Like I could, I could see that, but also you can't be like, you can't be saying what's cinema and what's not cinema when you're putting out the Irishman, you know what I mean? Also, that's like saying, you know, what is art and what isn't art. Yeah. Like I, I say, I mean, forever is crap and trash or whatever, but it's still art and it's still like a valid entry into the Batman mythos just because it fucking exists, you know? And yeah. uh, Michael Uslan, we talked about being a producer on these movies pretty much from batman 89 on he's had his name attached to i think even some of the animated ones i'm pretty sure he i think he's done all the batman movies like it's a pretty insane career it's like he became a producer and all he like it's like if i became a comic book artist and writer it would be like i would just do batman forever not batman for i would do batman you know i wouldn't Eternal. do this exact thing <laughs> I wouldn't do Batman Eternal either. That was another thing. I'd do Batman for a long time. I guess that's an easier, that's better. But like, he kind of did the same thing with producing. Um, and like, it's it's funny. He was talking about Batman Forever, and he was like, he was like, look, he's like all of these different movies. I think he was talking about specifically kind of like the sort of like the place in pop culture that Batman forever found itself at. And he was like, look, all of these takes, he's kind of echoing what you were saying, is all of these takes are valid. And he was like, and to me, he's like, when, when Burton did Batman 89 and when he did Batman Returns, you know, he's channeling a very specific sort of you know, maybe something closer to like the original 1930s era Batman, you know, maybe something that, you know, we'd come to know as like Legends of the Dark Knight in the 90s. Like he's doing this kind of like slightly more indie macabre thing. And then you have somebody like Nolan show up and he starts making his movies and it's like, you got a little bit of year one, you got a little bit of the long Halloween. It's like, it's a little bit more it's a little bit less of the 
kind of like uh monthly titles it's more like he's doing like the batman graphic novel treatments you know more so a little bit more thoughtful a little less you know and like what he said about batman forever really rang true he's like to me i watch batman forever and i see something that is you know stylistically you know it's maybe stylistically in a different vein but he was like i think it's the 1950s batman comics just a little bit you know splashier visuals and stuff and you know when he said that i started thinking about it and i'm like yeah you know i i can i get that that vibe off of it and here's the question that i that i it made me think of is like would you know like and i'm i'm not saying this as a joke i'm asking a legitimate question but like you know, there's like images of Batman fighting on a gigantic keyboard, like a, a typewriter, you know, yeah. from the 1950s comics and stuff. And I, I was kind of like, could that be something that's a possibility in like a Joel Schumacher Batman world? And like, would it yeah. be all right? Like, I think yeah. it might be kind of cool, like just to go full tilt into that, you know, that era. You I know? mean, I just wish... <sighs> I mean, I wish that it wasn't in the Tim Burton verse. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's, I don't know. It, it's a weird uh, kind of synthesis to make when you're looking at a streamlined Keaton suit or Burton suit, really, that's like all black and yeah. like very dark. Yeah. And applying it to Schumacher's like Adam Westian philosophies inside that universe and it's just like you know it's a weird mashup yeah like if Val Kilmer's suit had like bright blue fucking like glow up glow streaks or something in it so it matched like the, the Batmobile or something that could be neat but like huh. you know it was just like a weird uh, a weird look you know? yeah yeah, there's a lot of things that are, I, I think, yeah, maybe it would be better suited if it was just sort of a more nebulous kind of, uh, because it's, it's a weird middle ground that they find themselves at where it's like, yeah, well, it's a completely different Batman and like Harvey Dent's a different guy, but like Chase Meridian's going to talk about Catwoman and Pat Hingle and Michael Goff will be reprising their roles as Commissioner Gordon and Alfred, you know? And it's like, okay, why? why, though? It's like a weird kind of, like, this is the exact vibe that we're going to get after Flashpoint, where it's like, all of a sudden, Michael Keaton's Batman, and it's like, but he's in the DCEU Gotham, and you know what I mean? It's going to be the same thing, where it's like, what is this? Like, this, this feels strange. But, um... I don't know. My thoughts about Batman Forever are kind of that I, I, um, I kind of like it in ways. Um, I mean, this is probably the one I've watched the most behind the first one. Yeah, yeah. Like this, like when this one came out, I was like watching this one constantly for All probably couple of years but yeah i mean i i think tommy lee jones one of the things that he didn't like is that jim carrey was pulling attention um and i i heard a quote from him 
<laughs> it was a quote that was repeated from Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey said that this had happened there. He saw him at dinner or something. They were at the same restaurant and Jim Carrey walked up to him. And I think it was, bef- it might've been even before they had started filming or something. And Tommy Lee Jones had already decided that he didn't like him or what the deal was, but he walked over to him to say hi. And he did. And Tommy Lee Jones said, look, I don't like you. Okay. I hate you. And then he was like, and I can't sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> was the line that he gave him. I'm like, holy fuck. But like, I uh, I can't sanction your buffoonery. Has to be like on a t-shirt somewhere. Like, it's oh, yeah. a great line. It's great. But I kind of like, <clears throat> my thoughts on like the cast, I feel like, I, I do think Tommy Lee Jones is an interesting pick for Two-Face you know um and i think jim carrey is he's he's like kind of like hamming up what frank gorshin did to like a completely cartoony extent which is authentically him um I think because I've seen Jim Carrey do serious parts too, I kind of would like to see more of that in that performance as well. Um, Did he start doing serious parts after this movie? After this movie, yeah. I mean, I think the Truman Show was the year after this movie. Um, So it's like it was in his ability to do that and I think kind of playing with a little bit more of that um, would have been cool. Um, Chris O'Donnell was great. You know, yeah. was pretty serviceable Robin. Um, Nicole Kidman doesn't have that much to do. Um, she's fine. Obviously, Michael Goff, Pat Hingle, totally good. Um, Val Kilmer's Batman is... he has like a weird weight to kind of carry with this movie because he's, you're going to be constantly thinking about Michael Keaton who had the opportunity to reprise the part. But when they didn't invite Tim Burton back, he was like, okay, well I'm out. Um, now it doesn't seem to be a problem. Now he's yeah. like, who's directing the flash. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> Give me the bat suit. I'm going in 30 years later. I'll do that too. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure the paycheck this time around is probably bananas. Like uh, bananas. Yeah, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. But I, I'm interested to see if they get Michael Goff back as Alfred. Um, ah, I'm sad. Uh, <laughs> so... Honestly, they'll probably do like a CGI fucking <laughs> Alfred like they did with Princess Leia, dude. It'll they'll be do so the... They'll do the social network thing. They'll get Josh Pence to do the body doubling and then they'll just CGI Michael Goff's face onto his body. Yeah, exactly. that, that'd be normal. Um, yeah, I, you know, Val Kilmer's Batman is, he's a little bit like flat, you know? Yeah. If I'm being honest, like he doesn't have any of the anger or rage he seems he has the sadness 
which is a part of the character. Like he does feel like he, he carries that off. Um, but I, I, he's sort he he just kind of it's it's an ironic thing because he like i said he's kind of flat almost two-dimensional but he is in the first batman movie and i know that this is going to seem and some people might get mad about this but in my opinion this is the first batman movie that really starts to look at the psychology of Bruce Wayne uh, with more with more precision what's that with like a goal in mind yeah yeah because I mean I think like Batman 89 and Batman Returns Batman Returns is devoid of any of it you know Batman Returns has things like things change you know, there's no there's like, no arc for Batman in either of those movies. No, Batman '89 is at least being like, okay, there was trauma in his past. Look at what happened to him. You know, this is who he is now, and this is like, it has some pointed dialogue about, you know, I'm the only one that can stop him. You know, I have to do this. It's not a perfect world. It's like it gets into like the obsessiveness of Batman and like what he's after and that it's unattainable. And that's almost kind of the tragedy of Batman as a character, you know, and that's great. But, you know, Batman Returns does these weird sort of like Batman Returns is a movie that's filled with like half finished thoughts, you know, like just the idea of like the penguin and his conversation you know ending with him repeating the penguin's line like things change it's like that doesn't go anywhere like that doesn't that literally doesn't go anywhere and it seems like it's a moment you know like it's supposed to and there's a bunch of stuff throughout batman returns that's kind of like that and i feel like at least this movie is the first one and i mean we'll talk about the cutting room floor version of it but like this is the first one that starts like dipping its toes into more of a like here's the here's the arc that we're trying to tell and here's the villains that we're using for it and it's not it's not a great arc in the theatrical film because you know what would you what would you say is sort of the goal here it's like him coming out of his shell, you know, accepting a partner in this journey is part of that. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's not really much to it in the theatrical, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Chase talks about, you know, what uh, crime he must have committed to kind of put this penance on himself. Um, right. I feel like that's like some of the first time they kind of talk about the guilt. Um, 
yeah that he feels for watching his parents die uh, yeah like survivor's guilt or something yeah and um, <clears throat> his yeah, resolution I mean, it's like the what I was going to say his resolution at the end of the movie, talking with the Riddler, the Riddler tries to make him choose, you know, who's going to live, who's going to die. And Batman saves both of the people and each of them representing a different aspect of Bruce's life. So Chase Meridian is, you know, Bruce Wayne's kind of girlfriend at the time of the movie and sort of like his normal everyday life dick grayson becoming a symbol for batman and this vigilante journey and that's really the only bit of information that gets given in the theatrical cut is those two and then batman saving them both and then having the conversation about i'm both bruce wayne and batman you know and it reads very flat, like yeah. without the the context of the dream uh, coming to fruition. Yes. So why don't we why don't we talk about that then? Because I think that part of the reason that I like Batman Forever is because I know that other stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's like there's a scene in this movie where. Bruce is finally opening up to Chase and he's talking about his father's journal that he found. And it's really just padding the runtime in that scene. Like it really is just sort of like, okay, well, we're showing Two-Face and the Riddler approaching the Wayne Manor, you know? Um, And like, it doesn't really do anything in the structure of the theatrical film. It's just like he found his father's red journal and he has the line, I realized that my father would never write in it again. And that is like what sets in the theatrical version, Bruce being like, oh my God. And like running out of the funeral and crying and crashing down into the cave, falling forever. Okay, fine. But like the, the Schumacher cut, that people are actually like kind of starting to be like, let's release it. Let's release it. Let's see it. Um, Basically has Bruce at the funeral coming across his father's red journal. And it, you know, flips open in in the breeze to, um, to this entry. And, he starts reading it and basically where it gets to is that um, Bruce is adamant about going into the city to see a movie and I don't want to disappoint him. So that's what we're going to do tonight. And then like he turns the page and like it's blank and he realizes like, Oh my God, like I killed my parents, which is something that comes up in this movie a couple of times, you know, him saying, you know, I killed them. It's like something he's been carrying all this time. So like he closes the book, he runs out into the night, he falls down into the cave, gets attacked by a bat. And that's where it's been left, you know? And he's kind of lived his entire life with this 
thought in the back of his head that like if I hadn't have been a spoiled little rich kid and if I hadn't forced them into the city then they wouldn't have been killed so at the end of the movie after the Batcave gets destroyed Bruce is having like a crisis and is kind of unsure about who he is anymore um and Alfred kind of coaxes him to go back to where it started go back to the deepest part of the cave and Bruce does and he walks in and he sees like the light coming down from where he fell as a boy um and then he notices something sticking out of the dirt and he realizes that oh my god it's my father's journal like I left it down here this entire time and he lifts it up and he opens it and he sees the last journal entry and like you know turns the page past it still blank but then some i think wind catches it in that story like wind catches it and it flips again and there's a second like there's another journal entry like his father missed a page and in that journal entry it describes how i did have to disappoint bruce you know, we weren't able to go in to see the film. And he's like, but we're going to surprise him with it tonight. And it basically like lifts the burden of all of this guilt off of Batman, off of Bruce in this like one beautiful moment of realizing like, oh my God, it wasn't my fault. And then he hears this screech and he turns and you see the bat flying out of the darkness towards him. And this time we see it get to him and it's a full on like man sized bat in front of him, like glowing red eyes, wings outspread. And awesome practical, like the uh, coolest practical bat I have ever seen. Yeah, it's fucking outside of maybe graveyard shit. Yeah. So Bruce is standing there looking into the eyes of this thing and they have this camera movement that kind of spins around the two of them. And eventually Bruce's arms raise and he mimics the shape of the bat wings. And now instead of like, he's going into this battle um, and instead of being that, the the idea is that instead of being obligated to be Batman, now he's choosing to be Batman, which then when you get to the end of the movie and the Riddler makes him choose between Bruce and Batman and he saves both of them. And then they have the conversation and he's like, you see, I'm both Bruce Wayne and Batman, not because I have to be, but because I choose to be makes that moment fucking land. It's there for a reason and it's beautiful. And it's like, wow, like that's these people did the impossible seemingly, which is tell a Batman story on film in which Batman is the most important character. Like, up until this point, we have not gotten that. And I mean, it's part of it is the business end of it, but like, even looking at like Batman 89, it's like, who's billed first? Nicholson, you know, the Joker. So, yeah. So, like, Batman's always been like an afterthought. And to me, this is a radically. This is a this is a great step in the right direction of being like, no, no, no. Batman is the most interesting character here despite what you think and like, we're going to show you why. And I think that that 
director's cut of Batman Forever kind of probably taints my feelings about Batman Forever, the theatrical cut, because I do kind of find myself thinking about how good that original story is. Oh, no, I, I definitely was thinking about that also. But um, yeah, just like as the theatrical cut is like unfolding, I was just like, man, you know, I don't know. I guess like the good stuff about this, the stuff that I did like and the stuff that I do appreciate, I guess really about just this era is like people's uh, kind of inclination toward sets and practical effects. Yeah. Granted, you know, Gotham is hideous in that opening CG scene getting flying around by flying around by the helicopter and shit but all those set pieces that get blown up are awesome oh yeah all the set pieces thereafter are fantastic Mm -hmm. and like super weird and they all got you know big old dudes holding stuff up or like eyeballs heads or whatever and it's like that that eye for that kind of shit that I for psychedelia really like is something that I do appreciate Joel Schumacher bringing and the fact that like he could have given Batman an arc for the first yeah. time in oh yeah at this point anyway like 65 years 60 yeah. years ish and uh, yeah you know it, it it makes me want to see that director's cut and I know I'll still have the same hangups about you know the booty shots and the bat nipples and like all the goofy rubber and shit but yeah there's weird choices you know all that aside like it's got strong bones yeah well i think like it's funny i was i've been watching the statues in in these movies knowing that this is where we're going and like it's really it's really funny that like Batman 89 has like one modestly sized bronze statue and then the second movie is like here are these two gigantic stone giants that are you know they they're they're you know they're about three stories tall and they're like pulling back on this big lever and it's like oh okay like yeah I mean it's a little bit it's a little bit gaudy but it's not crazy now it's like they're full on like skyscraper sized men like holding up things and it's like it's just weird and like this the next movie i think they get bigger because like fuck it there's a car chase on an arm at one point (laughs) you're like who built this city like (laughs) getting huger by the fucking the titans (laughs) yeah exactly yeah i mean i I will say that I I, <coughs> I I vaguely like them. Uh it's a, even it's though I seem they're strange, like <laughs> it's an interesting design choice yeah. when done right. And you know, it, it he definitely went a little <clears throat> heavy handed with it, but it's a I don't know, it's it's a look that I don't hate, you know. Yeah. I uh I do, however, I don't like the weird. They could, they couldn't have come up with any other design for the statue in the bay. It's like the statue in the bay is like very clearly the Statue of Liberty, but they put like, oh yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. they call it like the Statue <laughs> yeah. of Gotham or something. 
Yeah, it's just got it like written on, <laughs> on her forehead crown. Like, they, yeah, it's uh, very strange to me. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, sometimes they treat Gotham as New York. Um, Drop my bottle, sorry. Um, They treat Gotham as New York, and it's like kind of boring to me, you know, and like it breaks the illusion a little bit. And it's very like Marvel is New York, you know. And, you know, DC has the benefit of being like, nope, all fictional cities. So they just sort of allow you to kind of imagine anything that you want being in there, including gigantic statues that are holding up buildings and shit. And as soon as you went and as soon as you introduce the idea that like, oh, no, this is in New York, it's like, oh, you know, like it's like that gigantic statues holding up buildings are not in New York. So that's weird, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, knowing the background and knowing what was attempted helps in a lot of ways too, because you can start to see the the inner workings of like why decisions are being made the way they are, like. <clears throat> like Two-Face being a supporting villain to the plot. It's like, this is a movie all about duality, you know? This is a movie about, like, Batman and Bruce Wayne being somehow, like, separated, you know? And and by the end of the movie, trying to merge them into one entity, you know? Um, so, like, that makes more sense thematically. <clears throat> I don't know. It's a strange kind of it's a strange thing that they chose to cut out. It's like they cut out the story, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean if they had done that and then maybe Bruce has to go back up into his destroyed cave and he pulls out like a fabric Adam West suit or something, like I was like watching it this time around, I was like, oh man, these guys missed an awesome opportunity to just have like brass tacks, kind of an Adam Westian like finale with like yeah. Jim Carrey in his spandex with the fucking tuxedo jacket over the top, Tommy Lee Jones in his like crazy split suit. Yeah. He would show up in his fucking, you know, flannel, not flannel, uh, long johns or whatever. Yeah. Robin's got his like classic suit already built in with his, uh, circus gear and uh yeah they could have like gone really like really i don't know how to describe it but yeah like splashy and totally fucking like 60s they got the boat they got a bat plane he says holy metal batman and it's just like (laughs) that's that's hilarious do it just fucking do it like take them out of these nippled rubber suits and just put him in fucking long johns. When he, that moment where he's like, holy rusted metal Batman. And Batman's like, what? And then <laughs> he's like, the ground, it's made of metal and full of holes. You know, and it's like, oh, it literally <laughs> is holy rusted metal. Okay, cool. You know, like, it's just such a goofy moment. Uh, yeah. Super fun callback. Also, I don't think the Bat Cape has ever looked better than 
in the background of that shot when he like yeah. is getting the water off of it and he like flurls it up and then drops it really fast and it like just this perfect like curl to like the top edge of it i was like ah god i don't know what the material was that they were using but like I, the burton movies used leather a lot or some variation of leather and this is yeah, like this a slightly a lighter. lighter yeah it's yeah. a lot lighter and something about the way that it moves that shot in the background oh holy fuck yeah another uh, callback to the 66 one by having a, a giant red buoy in there yeah i was yeah actually for sure right got it you know it's so like, good it. so good um yeah i mean watching you know there, there there's definitely things about this movie that are not great i mean and, and there's things about this movie that are kind of like unfortunately having to live you know like we talked about in the shadow of the burton movies that came before them so like they changed the batmobile and it's like this black and neon electric blue color um yeah yeah it has this very ornate kind of design to it and this very yeah phallus like sort of shape to it um particularly like the battering ram on the front of it is like uh okay um it was designed early designs were by uh geiger yeah that. yeah i saw um, those and those designs look awesome yeah but he was this like is a big old departure from that uh, i feel like they they took his designs they put them up on the wall and then they told their concept artist to kind of riff and then it slowly yeah. became like a morphed like Oh yeah, like it'll be like spindly like those designs, but it'd be spindly and it's like the ornate design work on it. But we're gonna kind of recall the Burton Batmobile a little bit with the fins and with like that that shape towards the front, and like it's it's not it's not like the best Batmobile. It's like super weird that it glows, super strange. Um. And then the other thing that kind of stands out is uh, the music is kind of suffering the same fate where like Danny, Danny Elfman. Elfman. No, no, actually, I, I actually heard the guy talking about it at one point a long time ago. Um, and, you know, the feeling is like, do you remember and actually it's it's funny because it's Danny Elfman again but like when you uh <clears throat> when you see the original Sam Raimi movies right and you have this amazing Spider-Man score it's like holy shit like this is so good and then the amazing Spider-Man comes out and there's this other composer trying to do anything you know with it anything different with it uh it's like it's it's too fucking iconic it's just too hard to actually do and like you watch the amazing spider-man there's only one moment in the entire film 
where the music does anything that's enticing for me. And it's when he's trying to save the little boy that's in the car hanging off the bridge. And there's this sound that he uses that it, it sounds like an old, like, like crappy 1950s sci-fi B movie. And it's the only thing in the entire movie that I'm like, oh, that would be a really cool direction to go with Spider-Man music because Spider-Man is as a concept feels like kind of an old crappy 1950s sci-fi movie, you know, yeah, it's 100%. like kid got bit by a radioactive spider. He can stick to walls like, holy shit. So yeah, lean into that. But the rest of the score is this like very generic hero music that yeah, doesn't feel, oh, it's super forgettable. And I feel like, you know, I, you know, I don't think that, this music is as forgettable as the amazing spider-man music but it's constantly kind of trailing behind how iconic that danny elfman theme is you know this music was done by uh elliot goldenthal is the composer on batman forever i just had to look it up um but you know i heard him talking about it and it's like you know it's like somebody talking about their like it's somebody that's dating the prom queen's sister you know <laughs> like yeah she's she's great you know she's great you know he you can tell that he's like i tried you know uh and it's a little bit sad you know but i don't hate the music it's different yeah i mean yeah, I don't know. There's a... I can't remember what scene it was, but it, it worked. It's like the first time, I guess... Uh, well, no, that's not true either. I was going to say it's like the first time like pop songs have been integrated, but Prince mm-hmm. literally did the first soundtrack. Uh, yeah, and he's like fucking three music videos in that movie. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Jesus Christ. And uh, the second one has considerably less of that, but yeah. this one has, you know, a lot. Uh, or not a lot, but, you know, Offspring's in there. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's a couple other, like, random parts with. Oh, no, I'm just thinking of, like, the shitty band that's playing at the Riddler's party. <laughs> yeah. Beyond yeah. instruments. Yeah. Yeah. Like totally that's, that's the soundtrack that I think of when I think of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Yeah. That's funny too, because this movie has the first um it has like like I don't know how to explain this. Like the first movie has a bunch of prints. It's like an entire prince album is made for batman 89 and like this movie does something different where they kind of have farmed out music duties to several people and i I, there's two that are i mean the most famous one i think for sure is seal um Kiss, kiss from a rose um and like that's fine or whatever 
but the one that I really like, and I, I'm not a fan of U2 as a band necessarily, but like that hold me, kiss me, thrill me, kill me song is fucking awesome. Like it's real good. Uh, I don't recall it. But it's, I also hate U2 and Bono, so. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's not, they're not for me. Uh, because normally their stuff is too, like, I don't know, whiny or something. Well, it's and just I like s- the most recipe-based rock and roll, quote-unquote, alternative music. I did, I did like their cover of uh, Hands, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes, though. That was great. Um, <laughs> but most of the time, U2 is not for me. But this song for this movie, it's pretty awesome. I, I highly recommend everybody, if you're listening to this on Spotify, uh, you know, when the episode's over, go check out the Hold Me, Kiss Me, Throw Me, Kill Me. Pretty good song. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know uh, what else there's uh, to say about Batman Forever. Um, well, the uh, back cave was upgraded. He doesn't have to keep his stuff on coat hangers anymore. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> I was thinking about when you were saying the uh, getting like uh, the old suit. I was like thinking about the what they chose to do in <laughs> Batman Forever, where it's like you know, what about the bat suits? And he's like, they've all been destroyed except for the prototype, you know. And I was just thinking about like. <laughs> How funny it would be if like the prototype was either like the fabric Adam West suit or something. He's yeah. like, tonight's a good night. Um, <laughs> or even if it was like all except the prototypes and he like he fucking lifts the, the tarp off of it and it's like the red jumpsuit with the plywood wings and the little domino mask that Bob Kane had originally <laughs> drawn for Batman. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> either of those would have been fucking awesome you know yeah they they like i feel like even just seeing like a bat suit that's like he's like oh except for the prototype and like he looks at the prototype and it's like there's parts of it that are duct taped together like he hasn't figured out how to like join them or whatever like it's all sorts of different ideas that you can have with that tarp being lifted you know yeah, it's like, dude, th- that's a fully finished suit with just what sonar built into it. Yeah, like, this shit is done. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, prototype I... my foot. Yeah, sonar. I mean, it seems like something the Batman should probably like. What? Start okay, so with? he calls it the sonar suit, and it's like, do we see it do anything sonary at all? I mean, the the thing drops down. He has lenses. To be blind that, is bad. Is that so sonar? Sonar, vision. <laughs> sonar lenses? It's a weird... It's funny because, like, years later, Nolan will introduce the idea of, like, Batman having a sonar tech, and it has lenses that drop down in the cowl and that glow white so that he can see what the sonar is picking up. And it's like, that's a reference. Nolan's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, I tip my hat to Joel Schumacher... <laughs> You did my I mean, favorite Batman movie. Christmas. They also have a fucking wheel lock for a helicopter, so 
yeah we that was something that was like really strange to me i was watching it and i was just thinking about like how fucking dumb is that like dude the I'm, like adam west this is 1966 minus all of the tim burtonisms that like tim burton was burying that stuff in and yeah. like when that fucking prop just comes out i was like dude you don't fly a helicopter with a wheel with a steering wheel like no. what I, I I feel like he should have also like le- <laughs> he should have also leaned down and grabbed a brick and put it on the accelerator. It's totally strange. Yeah. No, I mean I, I feel like there's like another more creative way to do that, you know? What if he took the joystick and he fucking kicked it? Like he just started kicking it and the helicopters like listing to the side every time he kicks it until he breaks it so yeah. that it's like you don't have the joystick anymore and it's just like here we go it's you know listing kind of towards uh the statue of liberty or whatever yeah. yeah yeah that was it's just like such a weird weird aesthetic thing and like i uh yeah i guess i i didn't like it save for Jim Carrey because it feels like Jim Carrey is like totally at home in this fucking like neon nightmare you know yeah. like he's the only one that I think knows exactly what movie he's in yeah exactly yeah. Like, yeah. he's I mean even as non Riddler like he's almost better as Nigma than as like Riddler or like post breakdown Nigma like when he's like digging into Fred like i love that whole fucking scene when he's just like fred baby you are fired just like (laughs) takes the helmet off and i don't know i like that and i they they do like they make it a footnote in this movie that he like a computer generated a hologram to fake stickley's suicide and you're like that that feels like it probably should have been better explained he doesn't use holograms at all throughout the rest of the movie and right? it's like, how cool would that have been if, like, there was a fight that was like, hey, there are two-faced thugs, but there are also two-faced thug holograms. You have no idea which is which. So it's like, yeah. you might be focusing on, like, blocking from the wrong person, you know? Like, I don't know. You could have done some things with that at the end of the movie. And oh, also, yeah. it felt like just a super convenient way to, to you know, explain that away. But I did like... Uh, when he's like talking to the cops um, about talking to the cops about uh, Stickley uh, and he takes out the suicide note and he's like handing it off to them. And he's like, you know, you'll find that the uh, he's like, I found this on his desk. And he's like hysterical and everything. And then he like stops and he says like very clearly like, you'll find that sentence structure and spelling matches his exactly as to sand writing. And then he's like, <laughs> the memories. And he starts crying again. And it's like, oh my God, like it's so fucking like, funny. He's the perfect level of ham for this movie. And like, if Tommy Lee Jones actually went in like the opposite direction and was just like fucking quiet and just like boiling and you just saw like Two-Face like, like, you know, uh, 
we'll say Murray just lash out and like shoot random people like that would have been awesome you know like because they're writing him well so, you know a lot of wheeze and um, we're of two minds about the whole thing and like if he just wasn't you know trying to echo Jim Carrey's like zaniness I feel like he could have gotten something like interesting and uh, instead just get everybody going like well Jim, Jim Carrey's having a good time it seems to be working so I guess I should try that too huh like yeah that's what you want right it's like no you just need like one there's like one dude to do that that's yeah. it a classic kind of comedy duo is there's the you know the goofy oddball and straight man and it's like yeah. you just need a two-face to be and like tommy lee jones is a great choice for that if you wanted to do like kind of a grim sort of darker take on two-face comparatively to the riddler like tommy lee jones makes a lot of sense but like he gets swept up in trying to <clears throat> basically pull the same amount of audience attention and it's annoying it's like everything is up to 11 and it's like might want a little bit more subtlety the where yeah. the biggest moment where it's like you know when batman's talking to the riddler at the end of the movie and he's like you know this has nothing to do with them you know it's this is between you and me and then two-face steps out of the shadows and he's like harvey's like and me and then Murray's like, and me. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. Uh, yeah, dude. It's like he's playing Cesar Romero's Joker, like, instead of Murray. On well, it's, half, you know? it's funny because, like, we talk about the, the 60s television show influence on these movies. And it's like Two Face as a character that didn't show up in the 60s television show. And it feels like this is sort of trying to be like, what would it have been like? And it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> have you seen the 66 comic uh, version of Two-Face? Uh, no. Is it, does, he, does he have a green face? He's green. And the side, like that side of his costume, that side of his outfit is like a Jackson Pollock painting. It's all splattered and everything. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I like it better than this weird kind of like zebra pink magenta print that he has. A strange. I like how much is on there. Like, <clears throat> yeah. Thing I will give Schumacher's design team is like they know how to load shit up, and mm -hmm. you know I like yeah a lot of the bits and bobs, but not necessarily like the color picks. You know, uh, the color of his face like too super is clean. You know, yeah. like the perfect split like yeah, yeah just is way too tidy for me but okay it's just like aesthetic the color of um his face is strange and i don't know i just want i i feel like they're there's a they always have like a difficulty trying to do two-face because <laughs> Like, no one was like, we're going to go, he's burned up so bad, and it's a fresh wound. Um, but the problem is, is, like, if you start to really extrapolate out, like, a, like, Harvey is somebody that was burned with acid. And it's like, he worried about 
<clears throat> designing that because you don't want to be offensive to people, you know, to people who have been burned that way. Um, it's a tough design challenge. Uh, and I think it, it's, I think the Nolan way to do it made the most sense. It was like very interesting and, you know, still felt like a burn victim. This literally looks like a man in face paint. It looks like a prosthetic. It, it looks like exactly what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I often wonder what Billy D. Williams would have looked like. What uh, they would have gone. Yeah. I wonder. I mean, even if they did this, it would have looked sick. Could have. Yeah. I mean, I there picture was Billy a, D. He shows up in the Batman Lego movie as Two Face. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. I feel like I picture Billy D. Williams as Two Face being that blue color, like the animated series. Yeah. That's what's in my head. I don't know if that's what they would do. <clears throat> knowing uh burton he would probably be white on that side right something like that i mean it'd be max shrek yeah yeah like he always just does like like we said before like pale villains so to make sense yeah. if it's like one side is billy d williams and then the other side is like super pale lifeless maybe grayish kind yeah. of i don't know could have been cool Tim Burton wanted Mickey Dolans from the Monkees to play the Riddler. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. I guess they also asked Robin Williams if he would play the Riddler. And I got clarification. I think I brought it up on the 89 podcast, but basically <clears throat> Robin Williams like campaigned for the part of the Joker. And then they were like, all right, we think we're going to go with you. And he was like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. I can't wait. And then uh, they went to Jack Nicholson and they were like, Robin Williams says he's going to do it. And Jack Nicholson was like, hold on, hold on. I want to do it. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go with Jack. Sorry, Robin. So I guess when they got around to Batman Forever, he, his name came up for the Riddler and they went to ask him if he would do it. And he was like, "Um, no, no. I mean, you... <laughs> You told me that I was going to be the Joker. Like, for all I know, you'll cast me, you'll tell me I got the part, and then you'll replace me with fucking Jim Carrey or something. And he said, I'm going to not <laughs> be involved with this, you know? Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> but he would have given a great performance as the Riddler, too. Like, he's got. I mean, I'm curious to see what his Joker would have been like. Yeah. I mean, either of those characters. Also, when he was older, before he passed away, I uh, had a brief thought of like, ooh, Hugo Strange. Like, if they ever use Hugo Strange in a movie, Robin Williams is the guy. Because he can play learned, and he can also play crazed, and he can play creepy, and it's like, he would have been a really good Hugo, you know? Yeah. He's so convincing as a good guy. You know, like you could, you could easily see him being like, I'm just here to help. You know, I'm just trying to make sure that everyone gets the treatment that they need while he's in the meantime being, you know, obsessed with Batman. And, you know, I don't know. Could have been pretty cool. But anyways, yeah. I mean, I think that's 
pretty much it on Batman Forever. I don't have much yeah. else to say. It was a weird one. And it's only going to get weirder <laughs> until Chris Nolan shows up. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, like, this is, uh, like, the shape of things to come, you know? It's and it still has like tim burton as a producer on it which i think is helping and keep it a little bit dark um batman and robin will not have tim burton as a producer and it pretty much becomes like a studio mandate of trying to sell as many toys as possible um so you'll see it just you'll see a bunch of different costumes for the characters and a bunch of different uh vehicles for the characters like i think the characters have like the main bat family it's like they each get well batman and robin each get two vehicles in the sequel which is crazy mr freeze has a vehicle that's denoted to him he also has like moth butterfly wings at one point Yep. <laughs> it's all just designed to try to sell toys and it's uh pretty soulless <laughs> yep it does however and i tease this i think at the start of this whole batmania thing that we're doing uh oh. batman is wtf wada um but it does have my favorite batman scene i think the most batman scene out of any of these movies is in batman and robin so kind of a weird conundrum it's the opposite yeah. of this where there's quite a bit of bad but mostly i enjoy it and it's like this is like like batman and robin is like there's one thing i enjoy and it's mostly <laughs> bad you know <laughs> yeah but anyways that's gonna we'll do it there. what's that we'll get there <laughs> yeah we'll get there um but anyways that's gonna do it for this edition of WT Fada. If you made it this far, you're a trooper, and we love you. Thank you for listening. Peace. Peace. You hear his voice every week on WT Fada, but now you can take a little bit of him home with you. That's right. Simply go to L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash A-W-E dot comics and you'll find links to all of Mr. Ryan Alves' magnificent work. Everything from his bubblegum maelstroms to his mustache Batmans uh, and beyond. Uh, go check it out. Go pick yourself up a couple of books. Awesome.